Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager for Bona Decents. I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. How we doing, Rob? Pretty good, buddy. How are you? I'm um, great. It's great to see you. Yeah, it's been a while, huh? Yep. Uh, I'm pretty, uh, you know, excited about this episode we're going to do today, and I'll tell you the reason why. Uh, you know what? We have been the model of consistency, you and I. We have done, uh, I don't know how many over, well over 100 and some odd podcasts, and we've never missed a single week. And um, I think that's pretty cool. Every week we, uh, we, we answer the bell. I'm pretty sure in May, I'm pretty sure in May we're going to be three full years. In May, we'll be starting our yeah. fourth fourth year. So yeah. that should be like 150 episodes. No matter where we are, whatever, we always <laughs> figure out a way to get them in. So I'm happy about that. And you know something? We've never done, we've never done any reruns. And um, I, I we're going to do today, we did a, we did a interview with John Namba a long time ago. And it was one of my personal favorites, just because he's like, an encyclopedia, you know, and, he, and I go back to the information and, and uh, re-listen to it. And the, the information we got out of John was just priceless. And I think it's one that I particularly want to go back to because he offers so much information and it is things that can really keep guys out of trouble. And uh, he offers some really great insight, as I said, and I think we're going to go back and revisit that one. I think it's a good idea. Good way to start the year off. I know when I re-listened to it, I learned again, and I got a lot out of it, and uh, it's like I never heard it before. Part of that is because I, I can't remember anything. I only have one question. Do we have to pay him again? No, no. All right. So that's good. So this is a, does he get a royalty check? It probably, you know, eight or nine cents, something like that, but. No, not. But we don't have to give him a, you don't have to pay him again for the whole thing. No, you shouldn't have even brought that up because I diverted those funds into my account. So he never even knew. Yeah, he didn't know he was getting paid. That's funny because I didn't see anything in my Venmo from you. No, there won't be. And well, there won't be because I just made that up. I don't have a Venmo. I've heard my kids talking about it, and there's just there's just no way I can I can trust that. I'm I know I'm old and everything, but do you have a Venmo? Yeah, that's where I get my Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't know what either one of those things are. All right. So let Rob sit back, relax, listen to this. There's some great information in here, and I'll chat with you at the end. Today, we're fortunate to have uh, John Namba with us today. Good morning, John. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning, John. Um, and we thought we'd take this opportunity to talk about um, going through in inspections. I mean, uh, you know, going through a third-party uh, inspection is a uh, be pretty uncomfortable. But uh, before I get into that, John, I think the, the question uh, that I've been dying to ask you is, uh, why no H in your first name? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, my mom and dad, I was adopted. My sister and I were both adopted. And they wanted common names to fit in to the American society, being Japanese. And my, my mom and dad are Japanese. So they figured, okay, John and Janie. Pretty, okay. you know. Pretty That's pretty American. Common, yeah. <laughs> and, but they said, let's, let's keep it a little bit different. Instead of adding the H, 
we'll we'll take the H away. So that's why J O N rather than J O H N. Just okay. well, I got to tell you, sending you emails <laughs> and only writing the J O N is awesome. I love not doing the H. <laughs> yeah, the it's time saver. It makes sense. Uh, I mean, go. it's easy. I think it's awesome. There you go. And for me to write an H when I do cursive, oh my gosh, you can't even read my signature anyway. So just it's but one less letter. It's it's a lot easier. <laughs> it's, it's it's guys like the, you though that really screw up when you go on Siri and go, hey Siri, call John, or 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 hi John, how you doing? Or because our our national our, our director of sales, Greg Bethune, is Greg with two G's at the end, and uh, I always have to go. Oh, wow. Okay, here we go. I go back in. I got to uh, edit it out. So <laughs> nevertheless. Great to have you, John. Um, hey, it's a pleasure to be here. So I know you've you're a journalist, you're a consultant, you do so you wear so many hats. Uh, uh, you have yeah. your own inspection company. So give us a little bit about your about your uh, about your background. My, I you know I actually started. Uh, I was going in high school, and uh, my my wife now Susie, I met her and her dad installed carpeting, and I grew up on a farm. Winter time, we don't have much to do, so uh, I went to work with her dad. This is 1977, so uh, one thing led to another. Went, started going to college, and uh, I'd help them on weekends and and whenever I could. It got to the point where he was so busy, he uh, I think he conned me into going to work for him. But anyway, we ended up getting married, and I just got into the floor, you know, flooring industry on the carpet side, actually in 1977 and then about 19 right around 1986 87 i started uh going out into the other fields and hardwood was one of them started in sand and finished hardwood about 1986 so i uh ended up getting rheumatic fever and so it kind of i had to change my perspective of things because i my health was down so i went into sales for a bit and i got frustrated at some of the workmanship i was seeing out there and so, and you know, as a salesman, you're selling more than you know, more than just carpet. So I was selling carpet, hardwood, resilient, all these other products. And uh, I'd go out to the job sites, and I said, "Guys, man, this does not look right. It just does not look like it's this. It's not what I would consider a professional installation." So I started reaching out to some friends of mine, and uh, told them, "Look, hey, I'd love to come to your jobs, and just I'll be your I'll be your helper." You don't have to pay me. I just want to learn to trade to make sure I understand the proper installation methods. These guys that I went out with were, you know, great professionals and uh, great friends. So they were gracious enough to let me come on board and help them out. And so from there, my thirst for education and doing things right just it just kept me going and, mo and keeping me motivated. And yeah, I do wear a lot of hats. I don't know why. It's it just it's a go 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 go. But you know what? Well, I figured as long as I have something valuable to give back to the industry for everything it's given me, I don't mind doing that. Because I know I'm on. You know, the sun's setting for me, and we have a you know trying to get that next generation of contractors to come up. It's 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 tough right now. But if I can do my part, hey, I'll do as much as I can. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. I like your style. Um, so let's talk about inspections and, and, you know, I'll frame this first when you, you know, when, when the time an inspection comes around, when you, when, when it comes to the time of an inspection, uh, there's a lot of emotion involved. I mean, you know, the contractor, you, you, you know, in some cases you've got your, your blood, sweat and tears and 
your 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 money and your time involved in these projects. So, what what does the inspector do when he's called upon for an inspection? What is his role? So, when an inspector an inspector gets contact contacted, he or she will get a claim form and the manufacturer and user retailer contractor whoever commissions that uh, inspection wants someone to go out as a third party give an independent voice to gather the facts and that's what we are as fact gatherers and at the end we try to determine what the causation or the problem of that you know what what caused this job to have so many concerns. And yeah, you're right, there are so many emotions going on. And by the time an inspector gets a claim, it could be a couple of months down the road. So the end users are already frustrated. And so it, it, this, you get into some contentious uh, situations. So you have to, you know, you just as an inspector, you have to keep your cool and uh, let them know, look, I'm here as an independent. I have no horse in this race. And I'm here to gather facts. Once you establish that, most of them back off. But it 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 is a it is a tough situation because someone's going to read that report, and they're not going to be happy. So as an inspector, you have to have fairly tough skin because you may, you know, you may get confronted after the fact, and you know, someone reads that report, they'll tell you, look, you are, you know, you are not you know right with this and you know you are because you're basing your inspection report on facts but you have a lot of emotions there so it is it is a challenge it's a if you're a good inspector it's you're doing the industry a good service and you know we have both good inspectors bad inspectors just like i tell everyone when i do my seminars i say there's they're good salesmen they're they're Good salespeople, there are bad salespeople. There are good installers, bad installers. Same with inspectors. There's good and the bad. But uh, overall, the majority of inspectors, I believe, are doing trying to do a good job out there, trying to make these, you know, make these calls based on facts. I, I agree, and I've always said that I would never want to be a part of an industry that doesn't have standards. You know what I mean? That that right. doesn't have things to adhere to. So, right. It's. Uh, With the National Wood Flooring Association, it is a stringent certification process. The uh, requirements to go through there are, you know, you, you do have to attend, attend the hands-on classes. You have to take uh, all the prerequisites before you even get to the class and take the test. So it's a tough course, but I, you know, I feel that it's one of the probably the best course for uh, hardwood inspections out there. And I'm, I'm seeing more and more of the manufacturers, they're leaning on the NWFA certified inspectors to go out and look at their, their jobs because they know it's a little bit more stringent, you know, it's a much more stringent uh, requirement to get through that process. You know, um, the reason I wanted to do this show, John, was I saw your seminar in, uh, at Domatex. Remember, we, right. we talked at Domatex and everything. And I couldn't take notes fast enough when you were talking. <laughs> I, I was writing on everything. 
and you know sometimes you go to these seminars and you're like oh, okay you know I, I i know everything what am i doing here kind of a thing but when you got done talking about inspections and you know i, I it, it's never going to be a great thing if it comes down to the inspection and that's why i wanted to have uh, you know do this podcast on inspections was just the information that you were giving out uh, I, I thought was just gold. So uh, it was just, a, it was a, that's the guys. I mean, I went to a bunch of seminars there and, and yours was absolutely one of the best ones. I, like I said, I, I got notes everywhere. I, I lost half of what, the, what I was, <laughs> Hey, what are the, Oh, it was awesome. No, thank you. And it was like you said, you know, um, just giving back to the industry and, and, the information that you were given at Domatex, that seminar was, that was really given back. So just want to thank you for that and tell you how much I appreciated that. That was a great one. What what are the three most common inspections that you get called for? No, probably, probably the number one nationwide. Okay. Probably globally, but the number one is going to be moisture related issues. Okay. Whether it's too little or too much, it's going to be, there are so many inspections tied to moisture. In my area, Utah, we're a dry state. So for us, it's typically lack of moisture. Can we, do we get a few that have excessive moisture? Yeah, we get some floods. We get homeowners or end users that may uh, mop their floors literally. But uh, typically our inspections in Utah are due to the dry dry conditions that we have so i would say number one but nationwide it's i still say moisture is number one problem out there and most inspectors out there i probably would agree with me um wages wages grew another two inches when you said moisture (laughs) wayne is i i I saw now that i can see him his chef just puffed Uh, out a little bit (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's 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 amazing it, it it amazes me how many moisture issues there are out there but it also amazes me and it's it's sad to say because i am part of this industry it amazes me how many contractors retailers businesses don't address the moisture issues on the front side. There are so many inspections that we go on that I walk in there and I'm thinking, why am I here? This, this should have never happened. This was an easy fix. There are so many products available on the market that if they had just taken those products and used them on the front side, I would not be here having to deal with this. And you know, the ultimate loser of this whole thing, yeah, we may get hit monetarily as an industry, you know, contractors, retailers, but the end user is the one that's ultimately losing. And what that happens with that is they've had a bad experience with wood. Now that they've had that bad experience, well, let's go try another product, okay? They're still going to have problems with that other product, but they've already had that bad taste in their mouth from having wood installed and having a bad experience just by someone not being professionally professionally enough and doing their due diligence beforehand so moisture is a big one in my area with that 
being said, with moisture being the issue, the lack of, I inspect probably the majority of my inspections for engineered products are checks, splits, um, wood shear, like that. So that would be probably my number two. I am starting to see quite a few uh, concerns and issues with wire brush products. We're having quite a few of the wire brush products start to splinter. And uh, so that's a big issue there. Uh, you get complaints from homeowners with their using the microfiber pads that it's catching and they're snagging and it's splintering. So right now, um, I'm doing probably at least 30% of my claims that I'm addressing are due to wire brush products, just because the end grains are so exposed. So it's, that's a tough one. Excuse, are these pre-finished wire brush floors or side finish or both or? These most, let's see, most of these that I'm looking at are pre-finished. Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing on, on, on the uh, side finished, I'm not seeing very few, very few on the, on the side finished. Yeah. Most everything I'm seeing is factory finished products. Mm. So that's, yeah, that's, yeah. It's, a, it's a tough one. Because, you know, as an inspector <clears throat> and as an industry, there, <clears throat> there are no guidelines. There are no guidelines as to, you know, wire brushing. You know, how, how many splinters are allowable? You know, can I have 10 splinters and 100 square feet? There are no guidelines. So as an inspector, how do you write that? Is that a, a manufacturing, is that a manufacturing defect or issue there? Well, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's the type of look that's in right. demand. Yep. So in order to get that look, you have to wire brush it. So it, it's a tough one. You're hearing and seeing now manufacturers and their gui installation guidelines state that once the installation is finished, go in with a white pad on a buffer over the entire floor. If you hit any splinters, you know, address them at, the, address. at, at yeah. that time yeah, and then dress them up afterwards. So, but it's, that's a tough one. That is interesting. Some manufacturers will, uh, you know, work with the uh, distributor, retailer, contractor, but that is a, it's been a frustrating one, I think, for the, the inspectors to write reports on. How important is documentation in all this, John? Oh my gosh. You know, if contractors would document on the front side, it would give them so much more to battle these claims because now you have, you know, at the time of installation, all the site conditions were correct. At the time of installation, we checked the moisture. Once again, moisture being the number one, everything was green light. So we checked all, all our ambient temperatures, our site conditions, relative humidity. We recorded that. Once an inspector gets that, gets that in their hands. Now they can create a timetable. They can look at that claim history and determine, look, yeah, at the time of installation, the installer really did their due diligence. But without that information, no documentation, it's like, you, you know, the, the contractors, you ask the contractors, did you take moisture readings? Yeah. What were they? It was good. Well, <laughs> what, what's good? It, it, everything looked dry. Well, did you, check moisture didn't need to why because on on manufacturer's box it says 
no acclimation required or 24, 48 hours, 72. So we had it on the job site for four days. Well, that doesn't really tell you anything. And unfortunately, you know, whether it's marketing and whether it's ignorance or what, it's come back to bite us. So it, it is so important for documentation. Um, I want to go back on, you know, when, when you asked me on the three most common. Uh, one other problem we're having out here in the West is squeaky, creaky floors because of the fact that now plank widths are getting so much wider. What we used to consider, you know, wide was three and a quarter to five inch. Now you're seeing seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I mean, it's just getting crazy out there on board widths. And the installers, if they're using the same procedures they've been doing with their nail scheduling and, uh, and trying, to, uh, trying to do a glue assist, they need to educate themselves because it's, it's a big problem out there with squeaks and creaks right now. A lot of manufacturers won't even cover squeaks and creaks. And, you know, what, along with the documentation, where that comes back into play is, all right, tell us what you used. Well, I used wood glue. Well, what wood glue? Uh, I don't know. Which one we use every day. And mm -hmm. so then you find out it was just something from a big box store right. that was a construction adhesive. It was the cheapest product that they could find. And, you know, so... Having that documentation, look, we used, you know, we used, let's throw Bona out there. We used Bona, a Bona, pro, you know, the Bona adhesive out there. What is it, the eight, eight, uh, eight fifty T sausages or that? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and so now we have documentation. Okay. That tells me that we, you know, that gives me some information. We may not have to do destructive testing now. Whereas if I don't know anything about this project, now I've got to recommend destructive testing. Whereas if I had documentation, we may not even have to go down that path. Mm -hmm. So documentation protects you, your business, protects, it protects everyone. And if it goes to litigation, now you have something to back you up. Yeah. When you so, said squeaks and creaks, did you hear a thumping after that? Anybody hear a thumping? <laughs> <laughs> because that was, that was Wayne's heart. It's, okay? it's, it's, it was pounding when you said, you are nailing it today, John. You are absolutely oh, nailing it. Oh, that's great. So oh, squeaks and queaks. Oh, my God. Wayne is just. Hey, I love Wayne. the bell. Love the bell. Well, so yeah. here's, here's, here's what Rob's talking about. And this is, John, I've been preaching this for the longest time. And, uh, and the reason being, in, in the, I think it was 2018 in the NWFA, I think it was the, probably the wide, widest attended uh, seminar they had was on creaking, squeak, squeaking, popping floors. Okay. And uh, as you as you suggested, the you know the wider the board, the less fasteners per square foot, which is exactly right. opposite of probably what we need. And uh, the nail glue assist, I mean that for for our sausage has been a big deal for us because uh, even if it's not a a moisture concern, you know it's a long way across that board to rely on just the fasteners on one side and the engagement of the tongue and the groove on the other side. And that is a real tough callback to get. I mean, it you is. spent forty thousand dollars on a floor. The guy staggered the boards real nice. They, they, you know, they color match it and everything. But when she steps on that floor and they have blue tape, I mean, that's there's nothing that's going to come out of your mouth to make them feel any better about it. Yep. It. And, and what's what's a the hard call is when they do. Let's say they used 
let's say they use the 850 tea sausage pack. And uh, typically what we see is the, the fasting schedules on the engineered, they, they tend to get in a, in a pattern. Contractors get into rhythm with their, with their fasting pneumatic tools or the fasting tools. So what you typically see is around eight to 10 fasteners mm -hmm. per, you know, eight to 10 inches in the fastening schedule. And then they may tighten up to six to eight, you know, eight to 10 is great for under three inches. When you get to the, the plank widths, three inches above, your nailing schedule, fastening schedule goes from eight to 10 to six to eight. Well, on engineered, if you look at all the documentation, the NWFA installation guidelines, manufacturer guidelines, most of those are at four to six for engineered wide plank. Installers aren't following that. And then you get someone who's trying to do due diligence. They say, okay, I wanna to try to do a glue assist. Well, they'll, let's say they get the 850T. If they don't use this, if they're doing a serpentine, if they don't go across the entire panel, they have an, an issue of once everything's set, the panel's gonna rock. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we get into. And those are hard to call because you know that the installer tried to do due diligence, but they just they just ran a bead down the down the center, just a small serpentine. Some installers well, will run, you know, parallel beads and, and all that, but it's just you've got to be able to support that panel. Yeah. That's that's it. And, and so you still want to stay on your nailing schedule then is what you're getting at. Even if you're doing a nail glue assist, we tell them keep yes, stay, stay on the nailing schedule. Exactly. So since you brought up moisture, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go down this road a little bit. Okay. Um, with, in 2020 now, with all the technology, you know, all the, all the uh, say, unlimited warranties, all the, all the advances in adhesives, um, the two largest commercial flooring entities out there, which is StarNet and Fuse Alliance, I believe, got together in 2019 to talk about the two biggest issues facing the industry. One being a labor shortage, which everybody's feeling. Right. And the other is, is moisture issues with floors on, on concrete slabs. So I, I always ask myself, with, in today's, with like I said, all this technology, why would that be still one of the biggest uh, issues out there? I, th I think you still have to do your due diligence and test. Um, you know, it's, to me, it's like doing a sand refinish job and, and, or bidding on one with the carpets, wall-to-wall -wall carpets. You don't know what's there. It's, it's hard to, hard to um, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to, you know, put a real number on that job unless you know right. for sure. So. A lot of, and that's, that's, you have in the manufacturer's guidelines, almost every single manufacturer out there states whether it's a calcium chloride test, whether it's an in situ relative humidity test, they've got the requirements right there. They list it. Yet, how many contractors will actually do either a calcium chloride test or an in situ relative humidity test? That number is so low. But it's, it's tough because here you are, and I keep telling, when I, when I do these seminars with, with the contractors, I tell them, look, you know, how many of you are flooring contractors? They raise their hand. I said, you install, right? Yeah. Well, before you install, 
you have to have so much more knowledge in today's business world. You have to have, first, you, know how, you need to know how to run a business, but you have to understand, now we have to understand concrete. We have to understand moisture. We have to have a better understanding of moisture barriers under concrete slabs. We have to have an understanding of testing. I mean, this is all before we even lay a stick of wood down. Mm -hmm. And so our industry, you know, years and years ago, yeah, we'd glue down stuff and adhesives were a little bit different. And, you know, some of the requirements back then for, for cement and concrete mixes are, were different. Things are changing. If you don't keep up on that, it's going to come back to bite you. And that's what I think has happened. We're not, we're not performing the test. And not to knock the adhesive companies or anything, they, they understand the contractors are not really doing these moisture tests. So they're going, going out there marketing products that, look, we have this all-in-one product. All you got to do is trowel it on, stick it in, and we'll cover you up to 100% relative humidity. They're good products. I believe they are good products. But the problem is you still leave the control of the trowel, the gauge, in the hands of the installer. And when you do that, and you're, you're using these all-in-one adhesives, if these installers aren't applying the proper amount of adhesive, it's still going to fail. So, I, you know, there are products out there, and they're, they're good products, but they're just not getting installed properly. And with well, the industry, go ahead. I think, and this is going to be my, this is my professional opinion and, and personal opinion. I think that sometimes using the, you know, an unlimited warranty can set a contractor up for failure. Yep. And, and I'll tell you why. I don't think, John, that the gamble is that our adhesive is so good, doesn't matter what the moisture concern is, we'll cover it. I think the gamble might be that you are not going to be able to hit the requirements to get unlimited, all right? And so if you if you need you need to get 100% coverage, your your sub for prep better be pristine. Yep. You better not have you know no dips and high spots. It better be pristine in order to get that. And I think the knowledge the, the contractor needs to be aware of that because if not, you're probably going to default to a three pound seventy five, and using a whole lot of adhesive to get there. Yep. So. I will always say, as long as I've been in this industry and when I'm dead and gone and this industry moves on without me, uh, there's, testing is always going to be the most, the, mo the most responsible thing to do, in my opinion. So, I agree with you totally. I do. Uh, it's, I, j I don't understand it. But uh, yeah, I, I do understand to a certain point because, like I said, the, adhesive man the, the industry, how many tests are actually getting done out there? Not very many. Yeah. Um, the guys that get it, yeah, they're doing a great job. And, and, and those, are, those are the jobs you never see. Why? Because there's never a claim yeah. on them. Yeah. So, you know, those guys are doing a good job. And uh, all we get to, unfortunately, all we get to see are the negatives, you know, on the claim side when you're doing an inspection. All you see, yeah. all, you know, basically you're seeing all the failures out there. There are a ton of projects that are, uh, have, you know, have the same moisture issues that are performing great.
Mm-hmm. Why? Because they, t- they did, took their time, did their due diligence in doing a proper installation of moisture mitigation. So let's, let's, let's talk about that then. So John, what should I be documenting at the beginning of a job going into a situation? What, what, do, you, what do you recommend that the, the contractors document? On the front side, you know, on the front side, the estimator it will, or contractor, if you're going out to the job site, you need to, we, you know, we always talk about lived in conditions. So why not at the time of estimate, do you need estimate, take your readings then because that's a truly lived in condition. That's where you know that that homeowner, that client, that end user, whether it's commercial, residential, that's their comfort level at that time. When you're at that job site, they're not setting anything else up. So document your temperature, your relative humidity. If you have the capability of at least taking an electronic meter to get an idea, uh, if you're on a concrete slab, get an idea of, you know, what, what is, you know, give me a, a qualitative idea of what's going on with that concrete slab. Document it on the front side during the estimate. Take photos. Take photos of the project. When you get back to the shop, put all that information into the paperwork. Talk to your installer, contractor, if you need to, to see if there's anything he or she sees in the photos. Once they get to the job site, they can compare their numbers to what you had to see if there's any difference in, you know, temperature changes, relative humidity changes. And then, you know, hopefully if it's, you know, this is the way I look at it. If it's a bedroom, is someone going to do a calcium chloride test or an in-situ relative humidity test? And they look around in the outside. Look at the exterior surroundings also. If you're in an area that's prone to water and moisture, yeah, you're probably going to want to take a, an extra step or two. But if, if everything looks good and you know you're the region of your country where you're at, now you have all that information on the front side that the installer, the contractor compare to see all right, I'm getting a totally different reading right now. So what happened in, in just this last three weeks that I'm getting a different number than my, you know, my estimator got. So it's good to have those numbers just to see, is this, you know, is this the condition that you saw three weeks ago and what I'm seeing today, the day of my installation. So that, that all that information helps. Okay. Two, two things right here. First of all, uh, our listeners can't see this, but, uh, we're on Zoom right now, and through John's, uh, the the through this blinds, the sun is coming through. He looks like Gandhi now, like he the looks words like are an coming. angel. Yeah, like yeah, he, like this. He looks like an angel. The, like the this sun knowledge. is beaming. All this knowledge is coming down from the sky or something. The thing that scared me about oh, that is I feel that Wayne is going to fire uh, my ass today. And oh John yeah, I can gonna, see it now. John's going to be the new guy on the show because you are just. You are just singing Wayne's prayers, oh, man. I, yeah. Okay. All right. No, 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 no. That looks nope. perfect. All right. The, 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 second thing you, the second thing you said, and honest to God, I never thought about this until this moment, about this job. You said something very, very uh, interesting. You said their comfort level. And I'll tell you a story. Uh, we did a job for a lady. Go. It's going to be a quick one, Rob. Uh, we did a... <laughs> A job for a lady, she was a very elderly lady, probably in her late 80s or 90s. And um, we dealt with her son. Um, we brought the wood, we acclimated the wood uh, to about you know 73 degrees, 74 degrees, in nice living conditions, it was an existing home. Uh, they move her in and she called us down the road that there was some cracks in the floor. 
And when I went to visit her, that house was unbelievably hot, but it was her comfort level. She was right. 90 years old, 80 some odd years old. And, and I, as soon as I was sitting there, I said, son of a gun. I said, is this where you usually keep the heat on? And she had a shawl around her, around her shoulders. And she goes, yes. And I thought, yep. Okay. So that's a lesson learned right there. That was out that we acclimated to what we thought was the environment, but it wasn't her environment. That's a little frustrating um, because, you know, when we talk about manufacturers that, you know, a lived, you know, lived in environment, but then, and I chastise manufacturers all the time about their guidelines. You know, they'll, they'll write 24 hours acclimation, no acclimation required, but then it's like two paragraphs down. It says site conditions must be maintained at, you know, but, but the, the reader, contractor, retailer, the, all they see is no acclimation required. That gives them the green light. Yeah. They don't want to read the rest of that document. They just want to say, hey, we, it says no acclimation required, you know. So, yeah, we, you need to get the site conditioned to our wood, mm -hmm. which I agree I agree with, you know, within that 30 to 50, 55% relative humidity and that temperature range, it's an acceptable temperature range for the manufacturers. And that's what we have to, you know, the real world is, look, we've got a home, you know, a homeowner that's 90 years old, likes to crank up the heat. So we've got to, we've got to put that into our calculation as we acclimate, as we get ready to install. We need to know what that floor is going to do down the road. Yeah. Not only the day of installation, but okay, today it's 35% relative humidity. In three months, it's going to drop down to 20 or 16% relative humidity. What do I need to do? I need to educate my client, and I need to, you know, make sure that this product is going to perform with those changes. So it is important to know what's going on on the front side during, you know, before, during, and after. So uh, that was the hook that got me, John, when I heard your seminar, when you started talking about acclimation and everything, but looking at what the living conditions are, what people are living in, and like Wayne's story there, that was, uh, that's when I really started banging out the notes, because now I, there's something that I had never thought of before, and that, that was a real good one. How much documentation, John, are we doing you know, we've been talking about installations a lot. What about sand and refinishing? How much documentation am I doing for that? And, and what kind of documentation are we doing? You know, when it, comes, when it comes to documentation, the National Wood Flooring Association, I don't know if you guys have seen, I don't know if you can see this. Let me, let me, uh, let me click on here. The, this is the NWFA jobs, job site checklist. The job site checklist, NWFA puts out, whether it's an engineered product, whether it's a site finished product, it gives you step by step. You can document this, your, your job sites, keep this on record. And you know what? It's, it's such a good reference that uh, when you, you know, if you do have a claim, you've got so much information to back up what you, what you recorded. It's a great tool to, it, this is a tool to use. Um, and we, we love that, Doc. We give that out at every school, the NWFA checklist. Every school, anybody who comes to one of our schools, uh, they get one of those. 
That's great. And I, you know, in my seminars, I hand a copy out even. And right now, you know, not all not all flooring contractors are members of the NWFA. And I got to toot my horn here a little bit for FCI Magazine. Floor Covering Installer Magazine has now got the, the checklist and a bunch of publications that the National Wood Flooring Association has online. If you go to fcimag.com and then uh, in the header, go to more and then go into the bookstore, you have, as a non-member, you can get all this now. So, Thank you but, for that. That's but, awesome. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's great for, you know, for non-members because not everyone is a member of NWFA. For NWFA members, they can just go on the NWFA site. You know what I like about that, John, is that say you do have an issue, okay, and then you go to court and you, okay, yes, I've documented this one, but here, I've documented all my jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that, that's important, isn't it? It is. It shows, yeah, it, it shows a, a track record. You know, it, it's not just something that you just filled out for, for this job just to try to cover, you know, CYA, cover your assets. It's it's something that you do on a daily basis. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a great, like I said, it's a tool. It's a tool. You know, there are a lot of things on here that you don't need to check off, but just go, you know, bypass those. Do what's pertinent to that particular job site. But uh, it's inexpensive. It's good insurance policy. So then uh, there's, since we're talking about paperwork and, and what have you, let, let's, let's also talk about this because you hear it all the time. And I think, I, I, I mean, I know what your answer is going to be, but people say, well, I'll have them sign a waiver. And we, we really know that that waiver is actually in some ways, it's just an admission of guilt, isn't it? Yep. You, yep. you were the professional that you knew there was a problem and they really don't hold up. But I heard of something else and I actually have, I've read it from one of your articles, which was a notice, protest and assumption of risk. Can you explain what that is? You know, yeah, my, with my own business years and years ago, I was fortunate enough to, I, I practically raised a kid when he was in high school and he ended up becoming an attorney, which for me was great because he, I, when I have a question or anything, I just, I just call and he's, he's right there for me. So I called Darwin one day, I said, Darwin, we have, you know, guys that are out there just doing these lean waivers. It means nothing. He says, yeah, you're right. He, says, he said, John, it's all in the verbiage. You guys are good at what you do. Attorneys are good at what they do. And we know how to use the legalese language. He says, let me write you up a document. And that's what he wrote up for our own business, that protest and assumption of risk. It's, it's similar to a lean waiver, but what it does, it's, it's in – it's in the, the legalese language to where it has uh, carries a lot more clout. You know, we are do, we are doing this. We are proceeding with this installation, but we are doing it because time constraints and you know there's there's a list of things there. We list all those down, and then at the very bottom, here are our concerns with this project, but we are moving forward. And then at the very bottom, you have the signature of the architect, the end user, the GC yourself. So everybody has a, a copy of this document and it states, yeah, there are issues on this job, but you want us to proceed, but we're doing this in protest. And what that does, it just gives, it gives that document a lot more credibility rather than just saying, I, I will not be held responsible for you know, this project. 
So I'm just going to go ahead and install it. And with just a signature, you need to clarify why you are proceeding with this project. So the judge can see that, look, they did everything they could to try to remediate this job and make, make, you know, make aware to all the involved parties that there are some concerns here. So it, it definitely gives credibility to that uh, contractor. And it's, it's helped us. And as I give the document, I, I tell contractors, look, you know, have your own legal team, your attorneys, take a look at this, make sure it fits your, your needs and that. But I've gotten so many phone calls from contractors and, hey, thanks, it's saved, you know, it's saved us on this project. So seems to be working. Yeah, we talked about how emotions run high. Let's start at, at the inspection, when the okay. inspector's there, how to, how to handle yourself, and then if it does go to court, how to, how to handle yeah. yourself. Let's go there, John. And on, on the, I'm going to kind of do this two different ways. On the inspection side, I tell inspectors, if you're a good inspector, you've done a good job of writing your report, you shouldn't have to go to court very often. You if you've done a good job with your report, it should go. It, it should stop at the mediation point when all the parties come together to decide if it's going to move forward or not. At mediation is where, if you've done a good job, they should probably be settling there. And if if you've got a contractor who's documented, if they've documented their their installation, if you've got that. Let's say they've got that NWFA job site checklist. They've gone through there with due diligence and recorded everything. A lot of times, it's not going to end up at, you know, in front of the judge. At mediation, the parties will come to an agreement and say, look, yeah, you know what? The installer has all this documentation. And it, you may not, the contractor may not get out completely you know, free of cost, but they'll, save, they'll still save themselves a lot of money by not going to litigation, uh, full litigation in front of the judge. Because... You, you just never know what's going to happen in a jury or in front of the judge. They, once again, you base everything on facts, but there's still emotions being played out, even in a in a jury trial. So you got to be, you know, if you can avoid at all costs going there, avoid yeah. it. Yeah. Can a judge tell a guy, hey, you got to go back and redo the job, or what is the judge going to say? They they can. They can actually, yeah. You know, let's say the homeowner says, I don't want these guys in my house, but you know, if the contractor appears professional isn't mouthing off to the judge. That's one thing. Another thing, contractors need to make sure that they, you know, don't get on the deep, you know, yeah, you're, you're on the, you know, basically on the defense, but be careful how you conduct yourself. You still got to be a professional out there. And if you start going off, losing your temper, it does no good in front of a in front of a, an attorney, in front of the inspector, in front of a judge, in front of a jury, you've got to maintain your cool. Um, and because they see that professionalism. If they see a contractor being a hothead, that it, it sends negative vibes right up front. You know, when they talk about first impressions, yeah, first impressions, make a good first impression and conduct yourself as a professional. And, and that's kind of whether what I was an, getting, what I was yeah, getting Whether at. you're an inspector, whether you're a contractor, be yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, there and let's face it, there are instances when your your work is being inspected and you've done, you know, you've done everything right, and it will be it will be found that you've done everything right. But so during that uncomfortable time when the inspector's there and maybe the builder's there, 
you still have to handle yourself as a professional because even what you say can go into the record, right? Oh yeah, it can. It, uh, yeah. it can. So I got just a few more problem. questions for you. All right, uh, not a problem. Tell me two great things about Susie that I don't know. And uh, when, <laughs> when, when you're right you off know, into the sunset, what are you guys going to do? <laughs> you know, they, they say behind every man, there's a good woman. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It, 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 having a companion, it, it's, your, it, it's your support team, man. It's, it's, it's your right arm. She, she has, you know, her, her dad, her family, basically her family got me into the flooring trade. She probably knew more about flooring than I did when I first got into it. But uh, she's, she's a hard worker. She's a great companion. And, you know, she supports me. And it's, it's great to have that support system. You know, we're a small family business. It's so, we're, you know, my son, you know, Susie, my wife, they run the day-to-day -day operations because I'm out on the road so much. And then now we even have my daughter, who, who's working with us. So it's, I mean, it's a family business. We, you know, there's, there's approximately 10 of us, you know, in our company and uh, it, it's, you know, we're not a big company, but uh, we, you know, we strive to do the best we can and to do a good job for our clients in that. But having the support system, having someone to lean on, having someone, you know, to tell your troubles to and, and celebrate the good times, you, Hey, you're going to have the ups and downs, no matter what relationship right. you're in. You know, right. the, you know, there's days with my son. My son used to, perfect example, Jason used to ask me years and years ago, he said, Dad, what do you think about this? I said, well, I think on the business side, I think you ought to do this, this, and this. And he said, okay, we'll do it. Now that he's gotten a lot more knowledgeable and grown up, he says, Dad, what do you think? He'll still ask me, Dad, what do you think? I think I'd probably do this, this, and this, and this. Uh, no. Nah. We're going to do it this way. <laughs> I said, you know what? Why'd you ask? Why'd you, you know, ask? Yeah. I just, yeah. I just wanted yeah. to make sure and, and get your yeah. thoughts on it. But you know what? It's great to see him maturing and getting more assertive. He's, he's moving forward. And, uh, you know, I'm not worried about the company when it goes, you know. Your kid and my kid should go out for beers or something because I get the <laughs> same. What I've been doing now is like, look, I'm not going to fight with you. Just call Wayne. Okay, if it comes from Wayne, oh, uh, it's like yeah, it's from a the burning it's a bush story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't coach your own kid now, but that's right. Oh my yeah. God, when you said that, I was like, yeah, I know that exactly. But at home, yeah. You know the yeah. other thing that uh, I think about when I see you is I can't believe I don't see your wife, because at every seminar, every you know when you see John Namba, you're gonna see his wife. You're gonna yeah, see Susie like, right next to that big smile. Yeah. I think that's what's really cool about you too is how you do. Uh, you you are always together. That's just awesome. yeah. We work yeah. hard and we we play hard. So yeah, yeah we like you know outdoor. And when when we relax, you know, because we're we are so busy, we try. In fact, today we're going to head out. Uh, we're going to sneak out out to the West Desert and go ride our side by side. So nice. You know, one other another thing I really admire about Susie is there's only one Z in her name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. See. Keep it simple. <laughs> well, John, as, uh, as we let you go here, uh, give us your thoughts on the coronavirus and how you think the industry, we're, uh, we're going to rebound from this. And just uh, Well, you, you know, in Utah, we've been pretty fortunate. We, we haven't had a total lockdown. The governor said, you know, I'm not going to shut down the state. But he said, what do you say? Be safe, be healthy. 
and remember to isolate, you know, you still got six foot distance. We're, so we're able to work, most of our projects right now are unoccupied or outdoors. We're, we're, we're doing a couple of deck jobs, so they're exterior. It has affected our interior residential work, our lived-in work. I've had uh, probably three hardwood jobs that are postponed. Uh, we also do remodeling, so we've got some a couple of projects that have backed up. I, I think they'll, you know, they'll, they'll schedule, and I, when they do schedule, I, I really feel in the areas of the country that have been pretty strong with their economy, they're going to bounce back. The guys will bounce back fairly quick. Um, you know, I think they're going to get booked up and, you know, start to be able to get back into the swing of things. Some, some areas are going to be a little slower. I, I don't think it's going to be a fast we're not going to get back to where we were right away just because the, everyone's still hesitant on, mm -hmm. you know, that, that distancing stuff and everything. There's still going to be I, you, the masks, the hand sanitizers. I think that's just part of our daily lives right now. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be, it's a challenge. You know, we applied for that PPP, you know, we, Jason, my son, and I thought about, you know, do we, do we lay everyone off and let them get their unemployment? Or do we try to maintain that because the government's coming out with this PP, you know, PPP program? But the problem, you know, we applied, but the problem that now there's no money. A yeah. week into it, there's no yeah. money. So yeah. what, you know, were we better off letting everyone go on unemployment? You know, fortunately, we we're able to hang on right now. But depending on how things go for the next month or two, yeah, that will kind of, you know, we we're in uncharted waters there. Yeah, so we, I'm a, hoping that we'll, you know, with everyone talking right now about trying to get the economy back, back up slowly, starting the wheels moving forward. I'm hoping that uh, we'll be, you know, we'll be able to make it through there. Yeah, I actually think in Q3 and especially Q4, I mean, I mean, we're going to be humping, man, and there's going to be tough to get labor because yeah, it's going to be uh, it, 90 miles an I hour. I agree. I think yeah. it'll bounce back, you know, on the construction side. You know, yeah. the restaurant, I, I think the restaurant side, you know, with that and the retail side will still be a little bit slow, but people are, people are getting antsy yeah. right now. You're, and you're starting to see that nationwide. They're mm -hmm. starting to protest. So they're getting a little bit antsy. They want to, they're not used to being locked down in their homes and it's, they're, they're wanting to have that freedom. And that's what America is yeah. all about, you know? Yeah. Amen. Well, uh, thank you, John. That's a way to end the yeah. show, huh? That's yeah. a way to end the show. Yeah. That's what America's all about, baby. That's right. That's, uh, that is I, awesome. Yeah. Hey, uh, to all our listeners, one more thing. I, I, you can play this uh, podcast back and play a little drinking game. For every time you hear the word due diligence, take a shot. And by the end of the show, you're going to be feeling pretty good. I, I do say that a lot. I do. Because that's, it, it's, it's, that is such a part no, of it. No, that's a big one. You and Wayne kept yeah. nailing it. And I was like, man, I don't even think I've ever used that word. But that's me, not you yeah. guys. So I'm different. <laughs> um, well, John, it's, it's a lot of knowledge you have in this industry. It goes, it goes back many years and decades. And, and you're not, I mean, you're a student of the game. I mean, it, it's, it's easy to see yeah. that this is your passion and, and uh, you, you, Went a lot to this industry, and and thank you for your time here, and thanks for your knowledge, and hopefully, it's maybe get somebody out of trouble, or maybe do a little bit of work up front to save them some headache in the in the backside. So that's what it's all about. Yes, sir. Well, Rob, that was what 
our first rerun. Don't the royalties check start coming in now? Our first rerun. We are now Seinfeld now. Yeah. But you see why I wanted to do that one over again? Isn't John yeah, great? That, I, I'll tell you, when I saw him at um, Domatex, I, that was the first thing. It, I was having trouble paying attention because all I was thinking was, oh, we got to have this guy in the show. Just such great information. So, yeah, yeah, I'm glad to, for our first rerun. Thank you, John. Perfect. Yeah. John was the first one uh, on the podcast. So, yeah, appreciate it. We got to have John back again. There's, I, I have a list of things I want to go over with him. So we can get him back on. So please stay tuned for another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob.